prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dirty! burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're gonna be like blown out of the water but you just go no I just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers Penis again just showing himself he's found space but not seem to exist but Luce is there oh my goodness he's gone and done it again thank you very much for coming on the podcast um it's a real honor to speak to you today um and thank you very much for your kind of friendly response when i asked you to come on uh it was really nice to hear um the last time i saw you i was thinking about this earlier was <laughs> three years ago roughly and we were on great dunfell watching i remember the day yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I've, I've been always been tempted to do an everest but after watching nathan try and do it you know obviously his, his knee was an issue about three quarters of the way through but just the number of times yet to go up and down great dunfell i just i'm not sure if i could face it <laughs> have you uh <clears throat> so yeah have you ever considered if you were to do it what hill you might fancy doing it on ideally a european one i think mm. I th the ones around here for me anyway are a bit too steep mm. um I, I like a I don't know, about maybe a 7% or something, 6 7%. Um, possibly, if I had to do it around here, then Greenhow, because there's a lot of elevation uh, mm. in about, what is it, about 15 minutes mm. uh, and a fast ascent. But, yeah, to be honest, no hill is great, other than some some nice long Alpine Pass or Tenerife think, or something uh, like that. I think uh, mentally... I can't remember how many times Nathan had to go up Great Dunn. I think it was like 30 odd or something like that. Yeah. But, um, mentally, I mean, so I've done an Everest in and I I had to do something like 52 reps of the hill I did. Um, oh, which hill and, did you do? So I did, um, oh, what's it called? Oh, crikey. It's completely lost my mind. Yorkshire one. Yeah, it's a Yorkshire know, one. Um, I know most of them. <laughs> It's on a main road. It's on the main road between York and like Driffield. Um, oh. What's it? Garraby. That's it. Garraby. Garraby. Oh. Um, and it's when you met, when you say you're doing Everest on, on Garraby, everyone's like, oh, why would you choose that? Because it yeah. is it's quite a main road. Um, yeah. But in my mind, it was like, I think it averages at something like 8%. There is a yeah. couple of steep bits, but there's a few bits of plateauing as well. <clears throat> but they just resurfaced the road, and critically, it's such a easy, relaxing descent. Um, yeah. There's no tight corners. There's no cattle grids like there was on Great Dunn. Um, <laughs> I think that's what you need, isn't it? Yeah. Just a, a fast descent, descent can, really. Yeah, fast one that you can completely relax on and yeah. recover. Um, yeah. <clears throat> But yeah, in mentally, I think I would actually prefer a hill which took a lot longer to climb, but meant mm -hmm. a lot fewer reps. So yeah. um, I think I researched that, for example, um, Sakalabra in Mallorca, you'd have to ascend eight times. And although that sounds horrific, just because it's only eight, yeah, uh, it sounds slightly better. <laughs> it's a smaller number in your head, yeah. Mm -hmm. And a nice so, descent as well. 
And yeah. I've got a friend actually who's I don't know if he's still planning to do it, but he he was thinking of doing it on Whitehorse Bank, which is the wow. trickiest descent that you'll ever find. So mm. trying to warn him to find somewhere else to do it because yeah. that's that is an awful one. But um, yeah, yeah. no, I I uh, have a lot of respect for anyone who's done an Everest or even half an Everest to be well, honest. Not that I mean we are going off a bit in a tangent here, but but <laughs> I'll say it now because I've just saw it yesterday. Someone has now done eight. Everest, Everest's back to back. Oh no! And, what a lunatic! What was so wrong with him? When I did mine, like literally about two weeks later, someone did two Everest back to back, and as with Enough. anything, everyone's just kind of like blown it out of proportion now, and it won't yeah. be long until someone does ten. So yeah, um, it's just getting ridiculous. Wow. Anyway, yeah, um, but yeah, that was the last time I saw you. Um, and to be fair, we didn't even have chance to chat because I think you were going up and down in your car a few times, and and I was yeah, I was kind of sticking with Nafe. Um, yeah, but a lot's happened between then and the present day. So, could you start by introducing yourself? in a kind of short form, like elevator pitch format to the listeners who may not know you? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Abby Smith. Um, we were just talking about my brother, who's Nathan Smith, and he's on Team Novo Nordisk Development. I'm currently on uh, Team EF Education, TIBCO SVB. Um, and uh, yeah, before that, uh, I was on Team TIBCO in 2021. Um, and on the GB under 23 track squad before that and GB junior squad before that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all kind of since I've seen you as well. So it's, mm. it's all, it's been a very quick succession. I'll put it that way. It's, it's, I've kind of jumped in at the deep end every single year, which has been quite the experience. Um, mm. cause yeah, before then I was doing triathlon since I was about eight. So obviously that's, again a silly sport <laughs> three sports in one but it's you know really enjoyed that um did that for a long time until I was 16 then naturally gravitated towards cycling because I was mm. I was catching everyone up on the bikes I thought I may as well just give give the bike part and go and skip the swim <laughs> so mm. uh, yeah so yeah I mean like I say such a such a quick progression into women's world tour I mean I'd I, I don't follow you that closely, but from, like I say, in, in the space of since last time I saw you, it seems like between then and now so much has happened and so much has, has come from it. Um, how are you finding the experience generally, like generally speaking, how are you finding it? Are you finding it really exciting or? Yeah, it's, it's I feel so privileged, you know, it's, I, it's, it's gone from kind of 2018, maybe, you know, I was, fangirling everybody and I mean I still do but you know I was getting signatures getting numbers and things and then you know two or three years later it's me on the other side now doing signatures and all sorts for the young fans so uh, wow. it feels amazing to be in that position and yeah doing my hobby as a job so uh, yeah I, th I think I'm, I'm really trying to make the most of it as such um because when I signed for Tibco I was just a stagiaire in 2021 um and it was COVID before then so I missed a year and a half of junior racing pretty much which stunted my learning quite a bit so I'm, I'm still catching up I think on on bunch skills and on team tactics and stuff it all still feels very new but um 
yeah, since then it's it's kind of been a, a huge ramp up as such to to where I am now. And yeah, I, I didn't know that EF um, were joining us when I first signed for Tibco. So that was a very lucky and nice surprise as well. Hmm. So uh, yeah. So to put this into perspective, then uh, you are a, what would call a pro road cyclist now. So are you doing this uh, outside of it? Are you? Would you call yourself full time now? Have you got any part time jobs or, or or doing anything on the side? Are you studying or is this literally full time? Yeah, so this is full time. Um, me personally, I think I would struggle doing two things at once because I wouldn't be able to do both fully committed if that makes sense I know many people do do both or two or three things really well but for me personally I think I just need one main focus um which at the moment is cycling that may change in the future but you know I, I really like to have that one focus um but also yeah when I um I, I was the first year that actually didn't do their A-levels we got given our predicted results mm. um so the year of uni I, I was planning to go to uni that next year but it was all a mess and so I thought I'd take a quote gap year as such and go and try cycling with the GB academy instead and it's like kind of all taken off from there and I've not a chance to go back to studying just yet but I think you can do studying at any point in your life so you know cycling will only last for maybe another 15 years and you know there's there's loads of time after that for me so I I've no I would love to go back and do some more studying or do uni or whatever it is so um uh yeah but that that can wait there's always yeah. time for that while we're talking <laughs> about that then what were you potentially going to start at uni then what were you interested in studying so I applied for biomedical sciences I'm really interested in yeah I was basically loved biology and also how it connected to the body and how it functioned how I function was functioning as an athlete mm. um I didn't really want to be a doctor I don't want to particularly be a doctor um that that side is not as appealing to me as kind of the theory and uh, research aspects around it um yeah particularly in cycling now that you know you learn so much about yourself and why your muscles and your body systems work as they do so that kind of area but anything along those lines like nutrition as well really interests me so I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure is the answer but something biological yeah I think you know although you're not studying it quote unquote at university at the minute you know if you've got a big interest in it you're very likely doing your own kind of background research more than more than you would if you didn't have an interest in it and yeah um, you know, obviously, when it's in a subject area which directly is related to sports performance and health and how the body works in certain um, extreme temperatures, for example, it, all of this yeah. type of thing will ultimately help you in your own in your own cycling as well. Um, yeah. So I think as an athlete, having an interest like that that goes hand in hand with their sport, it's always a it's always going to be a benefit. Yeah, I find um, it really interesting. So I'd, I'd love to do some more work on it or, you know, whatever I end up doing. But it's the same with aerodynamics. I'm not I'm not the most most mathsy person, but I still find it really interesting looking at, yeah. you know, ways to save watts and the the power to aero uh big question as such. So um 
seen a couple yeah, of recent photos of your TT position. It looks incredibly well, sleek. Well, I've been playing around with the front end, actually. This mm-hmm. is more for the more for the geek people, but I've been trying <laughs> to work out whether it's whether I'm better off being higher and getting more power out and potentially less aero or just yeah. slamming the stem and being more aero and getting a few less watts. So I'm, I'm still trying to work that out. I yeah. think I need a wind tunnel rather than, yeah. <laughs> rather than anything else. But yeah, it's, it is a conundrum. You've not been in a wind tunnel yet then? I have been in one, but we um, that was more for just figure we were, it was the Giro Prologue we were trying to figure out the best positions for. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, it was just slam the front end because it's six minutes. You know, you mm-hmm. can hold it for six minutes. But when it gets up to 30, 40 minutes, then it's how much can you hold mm-hmm. and the power and hip angles and all sorts. So, yeah, we're so working the, on that one. <laughs> in the pre-podcast questions, I asked you what your three biggest cycling achievements were. And uh, you listed uh, three top 10 results in World Tour. Do you remember what they are off the top of your head? I remember the first one was... A TT in the women's tour, end of 2021. That was a huge shock, <laughs> a really huge shock. Um, and then, um, yeah, then after that, I, I didn't have a great 2022 just due to illness um, throughout almost all of it and COVID and, oh, goodness knows what else. But then um, recently in Tour Down Under in January, I got uh, my, my next two, uh, which was mm-hmm. eighth on a stage and then, 10th on GC which wasn't the plan we actually had three of us in the top 10 on GC and I was a helper so that was a lucky bonus so yeah that was one of the best races I've done and I learned a lot yeah what um how would you on that then how would you define yourself as a rider so um what kind of stages suit you best would you say I'm still trying to figure it out in all honesty um I'd say I'm a bit of everything, really. Um, naturally, a hard stage, a hard long stage is usually good, really attritional. So there's maybe maybe 20, maybe 30 riders left at the end. Um, and then I'd usually be leading someone else out um, at that point because I'm, I'm not the best sprinter. So, you know, I'm a I'm pretty good diesel engine on the front when you need me. So I think that's where I'm best suited. Uh, but I'm still trying to figure it out, really, because I've I've got a little bit of everything. So um, I, I think I'm quite diverse in that sense, but also not particularly great at anything in particular. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a bit of everything. <laughs> How does the um, – obviously, I've got a fairly decent insight from being a coach but um, and talking to athletes before, but a lot of this listeners won't fully grasp – um you're on uh you know you know we're in the women's world tour and you're on a pro team um there is I, I don't know off the top of my head how many riders there are on your team but how does the selection typically work for the world tour races um so for example you know for Ru- roubaix and pl- things like that you know uh, how do they just dictate who's going to do what so generally they'll obviously look at the course first um, and probably pick out a pool of riders. This is the management. So a 
good few months before the race, if not even before the year's even started, they'll pick out the key races and look at which riders would potentially suit. So that might be up to possibly even up to 10 riders that would suit it. So there's 15 in the team currently. Um, and they usually take six or seven. It was seven at the tour this year. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll pick out those particular riders. And then obviously if some are injured or ill, which was again, unfortunately me for quite a lot of the time this year and last year, um, then obviously that rules you out for say the tour or the, one of the grand tours. Um, and then, yeah, they'll pick whoever's best in form and what, what combination of team might work best. So if you take Roubaix, for example, we had AJ, obviously, who won it, <laughs> which is so, one of the, the best things I've ever watched in my life and been a part of. It was brilliant. Um, so, yeah, Roubaix is difficult because it is a lot of luck, but generally they pick a team to suit around their lead rider. So in that instance, it was obviously AJ, but for our grand tours, it was mainly Veronica. So if you... And um, we also had AJ for sprints, but generally the team was built around Veronica uh, to go over GC. So it's who, yeah, whoever is best going to help her, um, but also having a, a diverse team. So some people who are obviously good on the flats to particularly help AJ and also some who can stick with Veronica as long as they can. So usually it's just a mix of rider and whoever's in best in form, really. Um, so, yeah, it's. It's difficult as a rider sometimes when you know, say I, I wanted to go to the tour this year, but I have had a knee injury and been coming back from a knee injury. So it obviously wasn't possible. But at the same time, I know there's more racing to come. So yeah. and more years to come. So mm. I'll get there one day. <laughs> so how far in advance would they pick the riders for the tour, for example? Very early, I think. Uh, I mean, the final selection about two weeks before. Yeah. But the initial guesstimate would be probably at the start of the year. I don't know yeah. exactly, but, you know, really early, particularly for a big aim mm. like the Tour. Mm. So um, I, th I guess it's always, um, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's kind of by the book who would be the best riders to take. And then yeah. that will change throughout an entire season, won't yeah. it? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, going back to the Roubaix, um, obviously I didn't watch the full race live or anything like that, but the first of I saw of it was that kind of little <laughs> Instagram reel that, that's taken off where she did one of her dances at the finish line and everything. And the vibes that I got from that it just like it made me smile from ear to ear. Oh, um, age is brilliant. It's yeah. just such a boost if is in that, the team. Is that personality that you see online exactly what it's like in real life. <laughs> yes. <Brilliant. laughs> Absolutely. You know, it should just be dancing down the corridors and you think nothing of it now it's a bit yeah. odd to start with or a bit like oh okay but you soon get used to it it's it's such a boost because obviously not every rider is like that I'm not like that but it's great to have someone who's that pumped and that mm. I don't know just just I don't know yeah <laughs> positive all the time it's brilliant and as a guess, as a leader so <clears throat> Ultimately, you know, you know, there's some dark times in cycling, isn't there? And there's some times yeah. of suffering and so on. And if you've got someone like that on your team, it's only going to bring you up. On that, on that kind of uh, note, then you know, when I asked you about your personality style, 
one of the things that you said was that you're um very introverted mm. so um that would obviously suggest to a certain extent that you are very different to someone like aj typically for a lot of the time in in how you portray yourself um tell me about that is that been like that ever since your young age and and um are you yeah what are you like at races and and tell me a bit about that yeah so i'm not i wouldn't say i'm the most introverted uh i you know i like i like hanging around the team i like being with people but i also know that i need my own space so probably every day i just need a bit of time to myself whether that's on the bike or just in my room or just you know having some chill time for half an hour or whatever it is i know that for me that's what works um it's the same on training camps as well it's the same with riding you know I don't I I, I maybe have one one to two group rides a week is good for me I know mm. some riders like to ride with people all the time some riders like to ride solo all the time and I'm kind of more solo than not but that's kind of where I base myself um so yeah when I'm with the team it's so nice to have those kind of extroverted flamboyant personalities because that brings me up even if I don't show it you know it brings me up and uh, I think I'd bring a bit of calm as well to the team which in in its in turn um you know helps in a different way it's I, I think the team a team always needs a variety of personalities so there's no right or wrong answer to it um it's it's good to have a mix and I we definitely do in in EF so um seems to work really well and uh yeah I, sometimes I do find myself in my own head a bit too much um or in a race I'll I'll overthink things I'll uh catastrophize a little bit if I'm in, if if I've not got enough adrenaline or if I'm not quite with it uh you know I'll start worrying and I'll go back to the back of the bunch which is my Achilles heel as such um but when I, when I'm pumped I'm good I'm fine in the bunch but I think that's where my introvertedness comes out a little bit if I'm not fully focused on the job at hand. When it comes to things like planning, preparation for races and training, are you the type of person who likes, who is very methodical and a massive project planner and likes to know what's happening when and control that yourself? Or are you more than happy to go with the flow and leave that to other people? Definitely the former, um, as much as, much as you can plan. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah you described me pretty well there. <laughs> um, unfortunately, with cycling, a lot changes, you know, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, things change, things go wrong. You miss flights, you change training sessions or in a race, you know, a crash happens, someone else gets injured or whatever it is that's happening you have to constantly adapt which is something that I'm learning and I'm getting better at um, but naturally I am methodical and I like to have a plan and I like to know what's going on when so when something changes I need to or I'm, I'm learning to adapt to stuff better but you, mm -hmm. you do have to be really flexible and mm -hmm. just kind of go 
well, if it's if it's going to be a bad day, it's going to be a bad day. We'll get through it. And if I have to miss this training session, then fine. We'll just pick up tomorrow and just change some things slightly, which doesn't come naturally, but I'm working on it. Uh, a lot of things. I, th I, I mean, I would only guess that at your level now, a lot of things are controlled by other people. Um, so I would assume that you have your own coach now um yeah. there's a nod um i would assume that somebody to some extent controls what you eat at least on race days and so on um with a bit of management from yourself as well i, I would assume um but yeah so how do you find that and and, and how much are people controlling so so yeah so, so tell me a bit about your coach so are they planning everything that you're doing at the minute so um, it's Monica Greenwood at the moment, um, who is, you know, we, we have our own coaches on the team, which is nice because you, everyone, every rider is different. Everyone needs something slightly different from a coach. Um, and Monica fits me really well. She uh, had me as a junior for two years and well, she got me to world champs within a year of switching from triathlon. So I owe her a lot of, you know, hard work and effort to get me there. Um, so I, you know, I trust her process and I trust that she's <clears throat> going to do a good job. And yeah, so this year, the training wise has been really good. We've gotten really well and it's, it's, she will obviously plan the training, but she, um, we communicate really well. So if something needs to change or if I ask, why are we doing this? Can we, can I put this in instead? You know, we'll have a really open conversation about it, which works well for me. Mm and kind of work together more than being told exactly what needs to be done um which is which is really nice so we've got a really good working relationship um in terms of around races yeah most things are controlled so it's good in ef in that it's it's a bit chilled it's you know everyone knows ef's a bit you know a bit more relaxed a bit more fun which is a really nice atmosphere so it's you know it's it's not too stringent on, you know, timings and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, nutritionally, we've obviously got our nutrition sponsor, Mon, and we've got set times for rides usually, or, you know, the meals will be set. Um, I do actually bring my own extra nutrition because I have some IBS issues, which is quite difficult in cycling because you can't always manage what you eat. So if you're away for two weeks, you can't pack something for two weeks before. So just trying to find what works well or just making sure the Swanyers know what, what I need to have personally is something that I just need to be aware of as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, generally it's it's easy in terms of there's a schedule and you follow it. And, mm -hmm. yeah, you just got to look after yourself really. Interesting. Yeah. So, um let's go into your childhood and growing up um first of all i i know the answer to this but where do you where do you call home and are you home now or <clears throat> i am at my new home now which is nesborough um so about a year ago i bought a house with my partner johnny which has been a really nice step um and kind of just just have settled into 
having my job as such. It's been a nice, nice to have a base for me here and move out of the family home. Um, the family home being Oswalkirk, which is, if anyone knows Helmsley or just on the uh, south edge of the North York Moors. So really rural, my favourite roads to ride. It's such a nice area. So that that's that's home home, a family home. Um, I always love going back there. And um, yeah, grew up around there in uh, in farmers' fields and, and all sorts. So, what brought you to Nairsborough? Why did you move there? Um, mainly, unfortunately, the the location of Oswalkirk is a bit too rural. It's mm. because I need to get to the airports, because I need to drive places. Um, also for group rides, actually, it's, you know, I don't want to have to ride for an hour and I can only do an hour with the group before I have to go back home. You know, I can actually start with the group and do a full ride. So that was a, that was a big draw as well. So it's just a bit more, a bit more linked to people and transport. What's your um, local group ride then? Um, usually the Moongly ride or the Harrogate Nova ride, which are, which is infamous, the Saturday Nova ride. Uh, <laughs> which, What's that yeah. infamous for, like Smash Fest? Smash Fest, oh yeah. There's, if anyone <laughs> wants a winter Smash Fest, then jump on Arrogate Nova on a Saturday and <laughs> you you will not, not be able to walk on Sunday. <laughs> I have heard all this actually, yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, it's, it, it's really great training for me because it's really, really pushes my top end of mm. just, just hanging on for dear life. <laughs> honestly it's terrifying in a good way <laughs> yeah good I mean you need it now and again don't you um yeah. I mean, the, the reality is as long as you know it's going to be a smash fest every time you go then that's fine the the issue when you've got group rides where you turn up and often you don't know if it's going to be a smash fest or a chilled yeah. ride until the day itself that's when it becomes a problem um, because yeah. you don't know what to do the day before or the day after. And it, especially from a coaching perspective, it's really difficult to plan for. But yeah, yeah. if you know it's going to be a hard ride for X amount of time, then you can plan that and you can integrate that when it suits, can't you? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, it's, I have to yeah, plan I mean, for it like it's a race day, to be honest. Like proper, <laughs> proper fueling, proper, you know, recovery. Everything needs to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, one thing um one thing that fascinates me is your family now i've never mm. kind of talked about this before with you on Ethan, but firstly it's very rare for any individual to be as good as you are at their sport but it's even more rare for that individual to have a sibling who is also very good at that same sport so like both of you and your brother are incredibly talented athletes and you kind of came from a similar position in that you're both triathletes before you were a cyclist as well. Tell me about this. Tell me about your childhood. And, you know, you, you, you grew up with Nathan, obviously, were you very close and were your parents a big influence on that? And tell me a bit about it. Yeah. So neither of my parents were, professional athletes or cyclists in particular but just very outdoorsy so my mum grew up in the Lake District um which we have a we have a little holiday house over there still so I can go and do mini training camps and whatnot nice. in the when I when I can um or when I when I fancy a 33 percent 
climb <laughs> whenever. Um, but yeah, she grew up over there, did loads of running, loads of walking. Um, and both my, my grandfathers were both keen cyclists. So it kind of it's just carried on through the family in that sense. And my dad was also, you know, big for school sports and, um, yeah, has, has done bits of triathlon as well. But yeah, neither of them professional, but just wanted to get us both into sport from a young age. So I think the first main thing we did was mountain biking. You know, we, we were really into cycling. So we went up to Dolby Forest a lot. A lot of falling off, a lot of trying to do the red route, and you know, finally mastered it. But you know, it's mm. that's what we did most of the time was mountain biking. Um, and yeah, it was it was interesting growing up because I always, for me, it was good because I always had Nathan as a faster rider. You know, he's always been faster, obviously. He's, he was older and a and a and um kind of just a target to aim for almost so I could try and follow his wheel as much as I can but I imagine for him I was really annoying actually wanting mm. to tag on to every ride mm. you know if he'd invite his friends over and they'd go out for a ride and I'd try and tag along you know that's <laughs> that's a bit uncool isn't it at, at age <laughs> I don't know a young teenager or something so um yeah <laughs> and I wasn't I didn't like hills at that point in time I was um yeah, growing up around hills was hard because I didn't like them, but now I've got used to them and I actually really like like climbing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I wasn't able to hang on very much to Nathan because he's, he's as thin as a twig in terms of, you know, obviously very strong, but he's, mm -hmm. he's really tall and uh, a proper climber as such. Mm -hmm. And I'm, um, yeah, built for shorter climbs, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's always been a challenge for me hanging on. Um, close in terms of we would ride a lot together or we'd uh you know I'd ride and he'd run while we we're doing triathlon we'd, we'd do all our swimming sessions together so naturally we did we did a lot together um both quite introverted though so we're not the not the chattiest we both just did it you know mm. that's that's how we work it's, it's the same now we'll go out for a group ride we'll chat for a bit but not forever you know that's, yeah. that's just that's just here we are, which is mm -hmm. fine, I think. It seems to work and we get on really well. So there's always been that competitiveness in both of us. Um and when you did triathlon, yeah. was there any sports that you were comparatively better at? Or being older and, and a and a and a bloke, obviously, it um was mm. that was that just making him shine through? What is the um, age gap as well, by the way? A year and a half, so not much. Okay. Um so he's nearly 23 mm. um so yeah we naturally because we're similar in age did a lot together mm. um I though was more into school sports so I did a lot of netball hockey everything table tennis basketball football you name it I behind did the it. scenes I actually messaged Nathan two nights ago and I said oh dear <laughs> Abby's coming on the podcast have you got any kind of insights and that's one thing that he did say is that he said at school like you did everything you you there was yeah. nothing that you could do you wanted to get into everything and everything that you could um yeah i don't know why my what. parents let us let me do that you know it's every single thing you know there's there's music as well so i played really? the piano and the viola and i had my art as well so i was carrying canvases around and then there was you know, if we had FT on that day, then I'd be carrying four bags or something stupid. Wow. And I was I was that kid. 
I just I just wanted to do everything. I just loved everything. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I found something that I really love now. So um, yeah, it's, it's hard to choose though. Really hard to choose what sport I wanted to do in the end. That's um, fascinating. I, um, yeah. I mean, compared to myself, like I would never. I was never interested in any team sports for one. I, the only thing, like I didn't like that I was relying on other people for the result and the performance. I understand that. Um, yeah. Um, and although cycling is a team sport to a certain extent, when you get to a certain level, you know, it's, it's still all about your own individual performance within that team. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, you go to a football or a netball match, you know, you, you are a very small percentage of the whole shebang aren't you and uh yeah but yeah was it was nathan into many sports or was it just you he did bits he particularly you know obviously the cross country and athletic Mm. side of it he was into did a bit of football um but generally it was triathlon he was he was really good at triathlon i was always worse at triathlon in general uh which which was hard to take sometimes just because i wanted to be better but i knew Mm. i i couldn't be better if i didn't stop all the other sports probably so if Um, your parents weren't into any of those three disciplines that much hmm. why did triathlon come because i can i can understand it happens quite a lot i can understand the general migration between triathlon and cycling you know you you find the discipline which you get most enjoyment out of the three disciplines yeah most people say that they can explore more countryside on the bike as well and yeah. it's more enjoyable so they 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 take up cycling more but where how did you find triathlon and pursue that quite early on so there was um a family we we still know really really well it's the, the hutchinsons they i can't remember exactly how they got into it but i know they did it and we sort of piggybacked onto that was my understanding but I was only about eight at the time so I didn't really understand what I was doing I was just told that right you're gonna swim then you're gonna ride your bike then you're gonna run (laughs) that was about that um and then obviously as we got older and we got we found out we were you know we were pretty good at it and we were getting better at it then we really got into it properly um so yeah it's it's through a, a close family who was also at our also at Rydell school at the time and that was really nice because we could train with them and you know do everything with them as as training buddies as well so yeah if we go back um to the years before you turned pro so let's go back in time so you've 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 taken cycling on as the main pursuit of the main sport and you've you know we're probably talking what four or five years ago now mm-hmm. six years ago um <clears throat> where tell me about those kind of early years where you're racing in the uk you know racing local road races local crits and 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 i guess coming up through the categories and so on as a junior and and so on tell me about that time because that's a period of your life that i know nothing about yeah so that was that was really interesting looking back on it. At the time, I had a great time. I was enjoying every second of it. It was it was brilliant because I could just I turned up to all sorts of races. You know, I did uh, time trials, crits, road races when I could, men's races when I could. You know, everything and just had had fun. You know, there was no pressure, nothing. I just just go out and see what I could do. Um, obviously, I'm 
junior gears at the time as well so it's pretty difficult to sprint at the end so I had to look for breakaways and keep attacking and I just had a great time really um but there was a lot of learning to do um never ridden in a bunch before I just got onto the junior GB academy so I had to learn track at that point as well which was the biggest challenge I think I've done so far in terms of I I was absolutely in the deep end at that point because these girls have been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, they're only 16, 17, but they've been doing it for 10 years. So um, I had a lot of catching up. And I remember my first Madison, actually. It was the first Madison session I'd done and they paired me with Eleanor Backstead um, <laughs> because she knew what she was doing and I definitely didn't. But she must have had the patience of a saint to, to teach me how to hand throw and just what to do really and yeah that was that was hard in terms of the track I found that really difficult catching up because on the road you know I could I, I was one of the best climbers I would say or one of the, the the stronger riders but on the track suddenly I was back down to the bottom you know I was miles off the back on the track and that was hard to take um and I, I, I was get, I got there with track eventually. Um, and I went to European Champs in 2021 and got a few medals, which felt really nice to feel like I was making it. Um, but it wasn't my pure enjoyment. I, mm. out, being outside, being in the countryside was what I wanted to do and go and rip it up on the roads, not round a circle inside, <laughs> really. Um, but yeah, that was... That was what I did for a couple of years as a junior on the track. Um, the road came quite naturally, just from being strong. And I know I'm quite hardworking as well. So um, I, I caught up pretty quickly. And um, also being quite aggressive or assertive, let's say, in the bunch. Uh, or um, just doing lots of attacks and not being scared to get dropped. You know, I was mm -hmm. just there to have fun. So, mm -hmm. um yeah, I just uh, really enjoyed that. I think it was 2019 was my first year as a junior. And my first... At that point, sorry to put in, at that no, point, no. Were, you, were you ever thinking about long-term? Like, at that point, were you ever thinking that this is something that you, you wanted to do full-time and you will be turning pro? Or was that not even a, a concern or, or a thought that passed into your mind? I think it was a target. It was an optimistic target in terms of it would be really nice if I could be a professional athlete one day in 10 years time little did I know that three years later I'd be a professional athlete and that came a lot lot quicker than I expected it might do I thought maybe one day I can do this but I never thought it would be that soon that I'd be able to do it um certainly yeah 2019 I got my first road race was my first national road race was Lincoln GP and I got 11th and that was that just I was I was really proud of myself I was really blown away I thought maybe I can actually do this and when I started getting some national results that was when I thought hmm maybe maybe I can do this one day you know maybe I can get there um so yeah that was that was really when it started but then obviously silly COVID came along and put a spanner in the works let's say <laughs> was there anything in that journey around that time uh when you were just starting to do you know a couple of the national road races and so on was there anything that you felt like really brought you on 
So is there any kind of, I mean, I like to use the terminology. What, what were the longest levers? What, what did you do around that time that kind of you feel like really progressed you as an athlete? That's a good question. Um, so I think in, um, in that first year junior, because I was on the national team, that automatically gives you a, ooh, you know, these are the best riders in, in the country of my age, and I'm one of them now. That's a nice little step just to think, hmm, you know, we're getting there. Um, and then I think it was it was having the aim of world champs um, in Yorkshire, as it was at the end of that year. I was desperate to go. It's Yorkshire. It's, it's mine. I have to go. It's, it's my place. Um, so that aim really, really spurred me on. And um, I think the whole year was almost was driven towards that, really. So I just in my head worked really really hard for that um and then again after that um that next year my next aim was not just to go to the world champs but to go and win it <laughs> which dare I say we we're on target to or at least go for a podium because I was I was going to lead as well I know I was I was absolutely flying in 2020 and then March 2020 was when COVID hit so yeah that was that was that um, but yeah, what brought me on most was definitely having those aims um, and having having those markers to see how far I'd come as well. And even looking back now at the the amount of you know the the shape of my curve is so exponential. It's like, oh, it, yeah, no, it's the other way. Anyway, it's it's it was so progressive. It was so quick mm -hmm. that I, I can't believe how quickly I managed to get to the standard I got to. Um, and do you feel like you, I mean, surely it's only helped confidence as well. I think, I feel like what you, part of what you're trying to say there as well is that I guess it's confidence and belief in yourself, which, which brought you on yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. And just, yeah, these little markers just give you a little boost of confidence every time. And mm. I, yeah, I guess the thing that people don't see once you're in the world tour is you don't have these particularly often. You, you don't have these markers as such. Um, you could do a great race and come in last, you know, and uh, people will only ever say that you've come in a hundredth place. You know, they, mm -hmm. they haven't seen the whole race. They've not seen what work you've done. So it's, mm -hmm. it's hard in that sense that you're not riding for yourself anymore, which is really nice in, um, in a way that you can help your teammates win, but also it's, you, you gotta wait, I, I, you know, I'll have to wait five or 10 years probably until I'm, I'm leader, which, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, but at the same time, it's really nice helping other people. But um, yeah, just a lot, just a very, a very different thing than riding for yourself. How long is your contract with EF? Do you know? Ends in December. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I can't tell you anymore uh, just at the moment, but um, I'm hopeful I'll have a contract for next year. Maybe <clears throat> someone. What is um to change the subject to a certain extent outside of cycling so you said that at school you did things like drawing and art and so on right now this present day life outside of cycling what is going on have you kept any of your little hobbies or is there not any space for them definitely the art in terms of i love painting love drawing um 
but in a in a funny way they almost swap over the cycling and the art so when I'm in a big training block well, I am at the moment you know I've got no time for drawing I've got no energy for painting or anything other than just feeding myself and sleeping and riding and that's about it but when you get injured or ill or off season I could spend hours and hours every day sat with a paintbrush and mm -hmm. yeah it's they almost swap over into two different jobs which is quite nice mm -hmm. in a way um mm -hmm. keeps me busy and feels like I'm doing something productive as well because that that's mm -hmm. something that I really need is to keep busy so mm. I feel really unproductive if I'm not doing something a lot of the time. I think you're very, like, it sounds like just one of those things that you do in your spare time, but I think it's probably really helped you out in certain situations, doesn't it? And uh, it really I think does, every, yeah. everyone, regardless of who they are and what level of cyclist they are, I think it's great to have another hobby other than just cycling um, because it's very easy to just get in this this kind of, mindset of thinking if it's not improving my cycling then why am I doing it yeah but um in the background having that time away and that little switch where you're not remotely thinking about cycling for a certain period of time um helps long-term athlete development I think in terms of uh your enjoyment of the sport um definitely like you say th there's intense periods where you know, you've been out on the bike for six hours, you know, you come back, you eat and you go to sleep and everything that you're thinking about over that period is just getting back on the bike again. And, or the opposite that you don't want to get back on the bike again. because you're so <laughs> tired. Um, but having something, whether that's learning to play the guitar or learning a new language or doing some drawing is always going to be a, a great thing. Yeah. Now, this is gonna be I... quite, uh, <clears throat> sorry, go on, Ari. No, I was just going to say, I really want to buy a piano at some point and have that as well in my house. <laughs> but mm. That might have to wait until I've saved up some money. <laughs> now, this might be a quite a hard question to answer. I'm going to ask, what mo what motivates you? A few different things. Mostly myself, I would say. My own, my own goals, um, which I won't lie, are lofty. They are possibly unachievable um so, you know some you know I want to go to the Olympics I want to win a medal at the world champs whatever discipline or whatever whatever form that is I want to win a world tour race I, I want to do these things some of them I may never do and that's fine but I think I'm going to aim for them I'm always going to aim for them still um and I'll stop when I stop enjoying cycling you know i that that's if if I'm not enjoying it anymore if I don't want to reach those goals anymore that's when I'm going to stop so particularly myself and my own goals is the main motivator and I, I call it self-expectation as well because I do put a lot of pressure on myself be it good or bad sometimes both um and yeah that that's that really drives me on is kind of I know what I can do and how far I can push myself. So I really want to get the most out of myself. And if it doesn't reach my, my end goals, then so be it. But um, just for example, at the start of this year, my goal was a top 10 world tour and I achieved that right at the start of the year, which was really nice. So um, just things like that, little goals along the way. And, you know, next year I'd love to go to the world champs and aim for, um, aim for a medal in the under 23 
road race or time trial you know I may never I may not go I may not get there I may get there and come tenth. you know it's they're just goals but you know it's it's just having them and having them having those high expectations is a really big motivator of mine um ultimately yeah. ultimately why not aim for the stars i mean yeah. I, i'm not i'm not listening to those goals and thinking that they sound unrealistic being honest abby i think they're all all realistic goals but ultimately why not aim as high as you can because the i mean it's cliche term at the minute but you know the, the enjoyment is in the process itself anyway and if you set yourself some goals which are realistic but you may attain them in you know a year's time you're going to get there and be like well now what anyway what, what now yeah yeah so you might as well aim for the top of the tree yeah so i think yeah as you say i may as well aim and i, I don't want to sound like i'm getting too big for my boots or um you know it's it, it's not that i i think that i can do it it's that i'm gonna aim to do it you know it's maybe i will maybe i won't but i'm gonna try and that's it i think that's yeah. the excitement of it have you ever along the process to get to where you are now have you have had any major setbacks or times that you really struggled or found tough you mentioned a knee injury for example tell me about that and was there any other major setbacks yeah so the most recent one is that knee injury um it wasn't even a crash which was the most annoying thing it was my one of my cleats one the bolts came loose so the so the cleat was moving around and that kind of twisted the other knee and tore not tore a ligament sprained the ligament and ligaments take like 10 weeks or mine did anyway so that just put me out of action for 10 weeks which was really annoying because I was about to leave uh, Flanders at the time um could have been worse though is what I keep telling myself you know I didn't nothing major you know it's fine now we're getting back I've got I've got some more races coming so back on track um but yeah I had some had some issues with Covid um, I don't know if it was officially long COVID, but it hung around for about five months last year. So I got it in wow. May and the effects hung around until August, which was really annoying because, wow. again, I, I went to the Giro and I just could not do anything. I couldn't I could get bottles and that was it. You know, I, I was not able to function, especially in that heat. Um so I had that in May and earlier this year as well. I had it in Australia just after my tour down under race. So a couple of days after I got it. So I had to miss the Cadell Evans road race, which I was going to I was gonna be going for as well. So that was a real shame. But these things happen. Um, so, yeah, 2022 was a bit rough in terms of COVID um, and a, a few stomach issues as well, gastrointestinal issues. Um, which is not uncommon with cyclists. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, before that was the biggest thing I've had, which was I had a kidney abscess. Um, wow. It was brought on in October because, actually because of the saddle I was riding. That was that was the start of it um, and caused right. an infection, um, which... Yeah, I didn't know about, which is why it spread so far until I had to go into hospital. And I was in for 
um, three weeks, I think. On a yeah, I was in a, in hospital for about three weeks, but I wasn't back on the bike until three months later. And that was the that was the hardest time I've had. Um, so, you know, I lost. I was so fit at the end of 2021 in October, um, and then uh, you might remember I. I did the National Crypt Champs and did a roly-poly over the finish line. Um, got a small concussion as well. Just not my finest hour. Um, How did that because, happen? <laughs> well, um, my poor judgment of the corner, but also it was pitch black and there were flashing cameras in my face, uh, which yeah, is not, not ideal either. And it was, yeah, it's a sprint finish. So I did cross the line. I got second, but... You know, I don't know if it was worth it in the end. Um, but yeah, ever since then, it was kind of a really, really rough winter because I missed all of my training. And you do start to question, will I ever be back? Will I be back to the level that I was? When will I be back? Will I have issues in the future? Um, touch wood, I haven't had any recurrence of that at all. Um but yeah, you do. It, it's really hard. I think as a cyclist, particularly, you don't know literally what's around the next corner. So, you know, you you don't know if you're going to crash in the next race. You don't know if you're going to get injured. You don't know when you're going to get ill. It's you. You just have to go along with it. And I think that's what makes a professional athlete as well. It's how resilient you are. How much can you put up with until you you get where you want to go? And my DS told me when I think it was, we were at the Giro or something, you know, he said, you'll have one good race in a hundred. And that really resonated with me because it was very, very true in my sense, you know, one, there'll be a good day somewhere. Just got to wait for it. You got to, you got to be patient and earn it. So but ultimately those good races are such a feeling of absolute euphoria that oh, you are prepared so to, you are prepared to wait so long for that same feeling aren't you and yeah, yeah you know it comes back down to the the feeling that you know the the saying that it's part of the process and and the enjoyment is in the process to get there because mm -hmm. sometimes you know it, and it's a common theme with a lot of my athletes you know they enjoy the training and the process to get there just as much as the race themselves oh, yeah. and um you know it's cycling is a massive massive steep learning curve continuously and every single race that you do you're learning from it and then you get that one race where you've just got diamonds in the legs and you get flow sensation and everything just works seamlessly perfectly effortlessly and you get the result you're after and it just all makes everything worthwhile and uh, yeah that's you know that's what we strive for as athletes um absolutely i'm gonna move swiftly on i'm mindful of time um before we go into some quick fire questions, um, how would you describe your eating habits and uh, what do you like to eat generally? Everything. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big foodie. I love mm -hmm. my food, which is quite handy that I'm a cyclist because it means I can eat a lot of it. <laughs> um I am a big porridge eater, I'd say. That's my pre-race food, even if it's an evening race. I'll have some oats before, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. rice is good as well. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a you know a big believer in, you know, eating a lot of the right stuff. 
you know, really having, particularly for those long rides, those long, hard rides, you need, you know, there's no point skimping. Even if you're trying to lose weight or get a bit leaner, you, you can't skimp while on a ride. That's not how it works. So, yeah, big, big carby person here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not afraid of a cafe stop either on a long ride. It's always nice. Um, so, yeah, my I'd like to think that I know enough and I know quite a lot about what I need when so obviously Mm -hmm. you you know the general rules of you know carb up before the ride and the night before the ride um and then carbs and protein afterwards um and then obviously if it's a stage race or something you've got to just keep eating carbs pretty much um so yeah I like to think I know I know the 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 sequence of it sometimes Mm -hmm. I do overfuel which I just because I'm nervous that I've not got enough in my body. Um, you know, even if it's a crit or something, you know, I'll really fuel up and then maybe I won't burn it all, but I'll, um, you know, it, it's all part of the learning and part of trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I do have to be careful because I've got a sweet tooth there. <laughs> so mm. I do. That's, that's when my cafe stops come in handy because then I can get a chocolate <laughs> brownie. What's your cake of choice? Oh, it's got to be a chocolate something or other. Chocolate oh, really? everywhere. Wow. Yeah, I think a chocolate brownie is what I would have on a ride. That sits mm-hmm. that sits well with me because then usually we 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 have our cafe stops about an hour from home, so you can just you can make that hour if you have a yeah. brownie. You'll you'll be yeah. fine. You'll get round. <laughs> so on the subject of carbs. Pasta, rice, or potatoes, if you had to choose one? Pasta, yeah. Pasta for me. You're a cyclist, Um, of course you would choose pasta. (laughs) Pasta and chicken. (laughs) Sorry, you you mentioned some IBS issues. Is there anything that you've Mm. noticed that you have to specifically avoid then with that? Yeah, I'm still trying to learn, to be honest. Um, Generally, I try and avoid some kind well I, I try and have gluten-free bread to be honest because some kinds of bread i can't pinpoint exactly what it is but sometimes they just set me off and i don't know why mm. oats tend to be good which is why i stick to them and i know that they work um anything again it's very individual but anything buttery or oily or cheesy is really bad for me so i just have to mm. be really quite uh smart and disciplined with my choices there yeah and then ultimately um, on on race days it's like I mean, for any individual who maybe doesn't have issues, they have to be very careful on race days anyway and give mm. give the digestive system something which is so simple and easy to digest. But then, yeah, yeah there's certain things which might be fine for one person, which is not fine for another person. And it's knowing what works for you. Like, for example, for me, contrastingly for you, Oats, I've found, don't work too well. I don't feel sick on them. I don't get any major GI issues with them. But they just never really sit that well on my stomach. I always feel yeah. a little bit a little bit kind of bloaty, a little bit stuffy. Stodgy. With them. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, so like for, for me, I know that I need to have kind of rice on a morning of a race. But yeah. porridge is like the go-to breakfast for any cyclist <laughs> usually. So it's, you know... It, just what um, works for you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's there's no judgment. I mean, I've seen all sorts of races, you know, people mm. putting honey on rice with chicken oh, yeah, and I eggs. No, and it's like, I've got no judgment at all because 
you know, that's fine. You do you. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> so going into quick fire questions, Abby. Um, mm. So these critically you've got to answer in the space of a short sentence. Okay. If someone gave you five million pounds today and said you have to spend it in 24 hours, what would you buy? Um, a house, <laughs> a really, really nice house mm-hmm. and maybe a bike. Would you <laughs> buy a house in a similar place to what you've bought one? Uh, yes, but in a maybe a little bit further out, so in a nice little village or something, a nice okay. little rural setting, which is similar to what where I grew up, really. <laughs> if you were to live somewhere outside of the UK, where would you live? You've been to plenty of different countries. You've ridden in lots of different countries. Yeah. Where would you live? Uh, I'm going to say Annecy or or thereabouts. I, we've been on lots of family holidays. I just love the area. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, Girona is a go-to, isn't it? I mean, as a cyclist. <laughs> Do you have any pre-race rituals or superstitions? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, silly things like... I'll paint my nails a certain colour or in a certain way that makes me feel good. Or mm-hmm. I'll um, wear a certain pair of glasses, certain pair of gloves, um, put my socks on, left first, then the right one. Are I don't really? know. Yeah, I don't know why. It's really strange. It's almost like I, if I, if I put, if I did it the other way around, or if I didn't wear my favourite pair of glasses, then I'm. I don't feel as good. I'm not. I'm not feeling. So this favorite pair of glasses. How long have you had the favorite pair of glasses for? Only since January. They're the new, oh, you know, the alien-looking ones. The Pock. Um, oh, I forget the the model. Mm. The new Pock ones, anyway. Yeah. They look like I'm a little spaceship. So I, I thought you like meant a little like, spaceship. When you said wearing your favorite pair of glasses, I thought you meant kind of you've had a pair that you that you had since you were like twelve, and you oh, <laughs> still no. wearing. <laughs> <laughs> which are majorly out of fashion now and, and oh they'd be <laughs> oh i dread to think what i was wearing back then you always look back at your your first cycling photos in pure yeah, yeah. embarrassment don't you it's like <laughs> what was i thinking <laughs> that's it yeah um what is this is an interesting one what is your biggest pet peeve or ick in cycling um I'm giving you loads about drivers. <laughs> That's mm. what you're asking. Um, in cycling, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go for the drivers first. Is when they overtake you, then immediately brake to turn left or right. That mm. that really annoys me. Mm. Um, in a cycling race, um, actually, in a group ride, is someone just going full gas on every single climb? That's when when it's just like a zone two ride or something, it's like there's there's no need. Just calm down. Um, yeah, in a race, not particularly because it's chaos anyway. It's mm. it's just absolute chaos. I guess it really annoys me. So it's like in the Tour de France Femmes when a a certain team wasn't working on the front when they should have been, 
that's quite annoying when when a team you think should be doing something is not and then you know if the breakaway wins because of that that's really annoying mm. um sure. it's a lot of italian shouting to be honest as well <laughs> i don't think there'll be any italians listening to this <laughs> so we'll go into some instagram questions uh, last night I put in an Instagram story. I asked if anyone had any questions. We have actually covered probably about 60% of the questions that came huh. through already in the questions that I was already asking you. But there's certain very specific ones which probably give a bit of a laugh to those that know you. Um, um, first one, who's got a bigger FTP, you or Johnny? <laughs> hmm. um, Numbers-wise, definitely Johnny, because he's 15 kilos heavier. But power, uh, what's per kilo? I don't know. I'm, can I, I'm just going to work this out, if that's all get right. Your I'm just going to get my calculator <laughs> and see who's got a bigger watts per kilo. Well, ultimately, um, I mean, I'm sure you've ridden with him and kind of tested each other on a climb. Yeah. he's. Yeah, gets... I'll say him. He, okay. Definitely Johnny. <laughs> but maybe that's yeah, just I like think... bloke's ego coming through as well. Like, you know, yeah, even if maybe. his numbers were less than yours, like, <laughs> He would get to the top first. There's no way, but no two ways about it. <laughs> kind of yeah. Thing. So he's he's about 0.2 watts per kilo more than me. Oh wow. So yeah, he's yeah. he's he's come on a lot. To be honest, it's it's really good training for me because now I really have to push to keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. We have a good practice actually, where I do my sprints out the saddle, but he has to stay in the saddle, and that's quite oh, yeah. fair. Yeah, oh, he cool. still wins, but it's quite it's quite it's quite a good one. Yeah. Do you manage to ride them quite a lot then? A fair amount. Um, often it's on group rides or, um, yeah, if we've got certain efforts, then we might ride individually. But um, when we can, yeah, it's nice to go out on the weekends together. Excellent. Who was the worst to ride with, Finnan, Herbert or Martha? <laughs> Uh, these so these Finian is one of the Hutchinsons I was talking about earlier. Yeah. There's the triathlon lot. Um, Herbert and Martha were also part of our little triathlon squad. So we were all absolute choppers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm gonna go Finian actually, because <laughs> he was one of these guys who would smash up every climb and then bonk himself, <laughs> and you'd have to drag him around at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, how do you feel about SD Works' domination of the women's peloton? Oh, good question. Um, I think it's it is deserved based on the riders they have, but I don't think they're the best working team together. In all honesty, I think there are teams that work a lot better as a unit. I know they they SD Works seem confused a lot of the time. They don't quite know what they're doing. They're, they're strong enough to fix it at the end. You know, they'll still win with whoever, but they're not quite sure what was going on or what the plan was originally. So, mm -hmm. yeah, interesting one. <laughs> and lastly, um, can you tell me who's going to win the world champs, please, this year? I'm guessing they mean in the women's race. Mm, I can... Have a have a go at both, but women's is difficult because because you've got Demi and Lorena on the same team. Um, 
and then Lottie is is the Belgian option, obviously. So I think it's going to be between the Dutch and the Belgians. I'm going to say Lottie, Lottie Kopecky, but God. it could be it could be Demi or Lorena, to be honest. But I'll and go Lottie. I'll go Lottie. Question for me then: Who's going to win the men's? Between Remco and Pog. Um, I don't want him to, but I think Remco's going to win it because he was flying in the last race. I forgot what it was, but he was absolutely flying. I think he's yeah. on form. So oh, we'll find admit, out I, soon. I must admit, I do like Remco's style. and I like, I like his, his style, yeah. Position on the bike. Um, yeah. He's a nice rider to watch. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to wrap things up. Um, before we do, I always like to end with something, which is if you were to give one piece of advice to other aspiring girls who are wanting to be good bike racers, what would it be? Enjoyment. I think that is the main one that is going to keep you going for the longest time. If you find a, the discipline that you enjoy most and also the groups or the places that you like to ride most and how you like to ride most, that is going to be the most beneficial thing. Um, maybe when you get to World Tour, maybe there'll be other things that drive you more um, or certain goals that drive you more, but certainly enjoyment. That, as I was saying earlier, with the amount of sports that I did, this was the one I ended up doing just because I enjoyed it the most. I really resonate with that. I... I... It's funny when anyone answers the question like that. Um, I look back at my previous years as a cyclist, cyclist, and I'm sure you can understand what I'm saying here. There's been many times when, for example, it's a drizzly day in the Yorkshire Dales, <laughs> and you've, you've you've said to yourself you're going to do three hours or four hours out, and I've not enjoyed a single minute of that ride. <laughs> just like just hating this everything. The whole week um, this week. <laughs> yeah. And like a better option would have like, I've always enjoyed off-road riding and yeah. the reality is like, if I got my mountain bike out and did three hours on the mountain bike instead, I'd enjoy it twice as much. But I always used to convince myself that I wasn't getting the same training benefit on the mountain bike. It was kind of just too much fun. It was too much fun. It can't be the same. <laughs> can't um, be as good. But yeah, that's, that's the number one thing. Enjoyment is for sure. Yeah. Um, find what, what makes you get out and put a smile on your face. Yeah. Now, um, the previous guest, which was Kat Ferguson, mm -hmm. um, she left you a question. Um, she didn't know who was going to come on the podcast. She didn't know anything about who was going to come on the podcast ah. at the time. Um, pretty simple question, to be fair. What is your go-to thing to listen to on rides what music or podcasts would you typically listen to if you do listen a, to anything? well i was just gonna say i'm i'm a weird one i don't i listen to the wind i listen to the road listen to the outdoors and i don't know what i think about for four or five hours <laughs> but somehow the time passes <laughs> so yeah. the outdoors is the answer to that one good <laughs> Hey, to be fair, I'm glad you answered that because uh, I, sometimes if I'm doing F efforts, I like to have one earpiece in and mm -hmm. have something going on. 
to kind of blank out some of the suffering, I guess. The pain, and, yeah. Yeah, and there is some research to suggest that, yeah, it does kind of mask some of the, the effort. Um, but when I posted a video on one of my stories uh, on my Instagram, sorry, of me wearing them, I got like loads of people calling me out saying I shouldn't be doing it. Um, now, there isn't actually anything to suggest you can, especially with one earbud in. Um, but one is I know definitely what, fine. Yeah, and 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 I must admit, like, I'm in touch wood. I've not had one cycling issue with other traffic ever. Um, and I feel like I'm still completely aware of my surroundings. But I'm glad you've said that because it sounds the safest anyway. Put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> now, especially just nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I am going to. I am going to um, ask you, you don't need to do it now, but I am going to ask you to leave a question for the next guest. It can be absolutely anything. It can be as deep and philosophical, as philosophical as you like, <laughs> or it can be about cycling, or it can be nice and simple. Um, the only bit of information I'll tell you now is that it, it he is a male and he is similar-ish age to you um but that's i can answer it now and give you a question if you want yeah it's, go for it it's pretty pretty simple but i always ask it to people is socks under or over leg warmers <laughs> <laughs> the classic i'll ask the next guest i'll ask the next guest what's your it seems opinion pretty on that? oh it's it's pretty 50 50 from the people i've asked but i'm definitely under socks under leg warmers okay that's, it depends for me it depends the length of the sock um yeah. so like yeah. if they're a daftly long sock then they've got to be under yeah but if they're like a daftly short sock under but if they're just a nice length, like mid shin, like the the length that you would typically wear without leg warmers, then yeah. I would personally put them over. But I mm. I get the impression more um, cross riders tend to go that direction. Really? Um, oh, yeah. interesting. Uh, no, I mean what... personally, I can't get on board with it, but mm. I understand the reasoning. You want to show off your socks? It's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Depends how nice the socks are, ultimately. Yeah. Abby, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. It was nice, free-flowing conversation. And I think we got a really good insight in terms of what it's like inside the Pro Peloton, who you are as a person, both on and off the bike, what your family life was like. And it was great to have you on. So thank you very much. Not at all. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.